Welcome to the WPC Sermons Podcast from Westminster Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. This week's sermon is titled, My Witnesses, and is from our guest pastor, Rev. Dr. Mark Mueller of the Outreach Foundation. To find more information on our worship services and live stream, check out our website, westminstercharlotte.org. Now enjoy this week's message from Rev. Dr. Mark Mueller. Our scripture today comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appeared to them during 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he, offered, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, greetings from the Outreach Foundation based in Nashville, Tennessee, Franklin, a suburb, to be truthful with you this morning. I bring you greetings also from our global partners, 50 of them in 37 countries around the globe. On this morning, this uh, Sabbath day in which we give thanks to God for all that God is doing in our lives locally and globally. And I want to take a personal moment to say thank you for the warm welcome. Uh, Your pastoral staff is simply incredible, some of the best I have seen in my travels around the United States, and they have made me feel very much at home. Would you join with me in prayer as we ask for God's blessings upon our time together? Loving God, we thank you for the gift of this day. and We know that you have called us together for a specific purpose this morning. We once again try to clear our hearts and minds as best we can. We need your Holy Spirit to help us so that in this brief moment we might hear something from you for us to do and to use, to think about and to ponder and to pray for in the coming days. 
It's in Christ's name we pray this. Amen. Webster's Dictionary defines a witness as someone who has seen or heard something. And then they go and tell others what they have seen or heard. In the New Testament, a witness is someone who attests to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The disciples and the entourage of women who accompanied them were the early witnesses. They all testified about Jesus Christ in some way or another. Now think about what they might have said to each other or to others. For Peter, the Apostle Peter, I, I'm sure he had to say something about walking on water to meet Jesus, or the transfiguration, or even the empty tomb. For Andrew, I'm sure it was the call to leave his profession of fishing, to leave all the nets, all the boats, and simply follow Jesus. And then all that he learned in those three years with Jesus the Christ. The witnesses, they gave their personal accounts. Today, in an incredible passage of Scripture, the text will speak of our call to remember, like the early disciples, that we are now the witnesses of what we know to be true in Jesus Christ. I mean, we know about Jesus. We've claimed it as truth. We've been baptized in the waters and made the profession of faith. We are witnesses now. Our text comes from, if you don't know the history on this, briefly, the same author that wrote the Gospel of Luke. He's finished that gospel, and he's now writing a stunning second book filled with energy and excitement of the early church as God was once again beginning something new. This, this entire story, despite its intrigue, though, is not all lovely and wonderful. Let's be honest this morning. The early church, much like the church today, faces problems, problems over theology, ethics, finances, leadership, along with discussions with religious authorities of the day and political leaders as well. The comfort, though, comes that amid all these difficulties, the gospel spreads in such wonderful ways. The text that was just read talks of one of those last post-resurrection appearances by Jesus. It ends with the ascension discussion in verse 9. The implications of the ascension as I look at it through the windows is that God does not intend the disciples to just enjoy the benefits of faith. Rather, they have experienced his, his victory because God has called them to carry on the message. The disciples have been called to be a witness. Now, as you look at the text, you know, if you've got it in your Bible, I don't think it's up anymore. 
You know, we could discuss a lot of things today. A lot of of exciting things. The workings of the Holy Spirit. Holy cow. So prominent in the text, but yet so frightening to many a Presbyterian. We could spend some time talking about the restoration of Israel, so hoped for by the Jews. We could even consider those moments in time when God breaks through this thin veil between heaven and earth. We could talk about holy moments, because there's, there's one big one in the text. But not today, sorry. All that's a setup. Instead, I want to invite you more deeply, much more deeply, into the latter half of just one verse, verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. My professor and friend and theologian, Dr. Daryl Guter, wrote a book about this text. He entitled his book, You Will Be My Witnesses. According to Guter, the whole book of Acts relates to how the early church did just that, of how they were witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in the breakthrough ministry in Samaria, and the ministry of the Apostle Paul who took the gospel to the then unknown ends of the earth. Those words in verse 8, my dear friends, if you've got your Bible with you, I hope you underline them because some of those are the most profound in the Bible. In addition, that verse gives you the whole layout for the entire book of Acts. In Jerusalem, Acts chapters 1 through 7. In Judea and Samaria, Acts chapters 8 through 12. And to the ends of the earth, Acts chapters 13 through 28. But you know the rather odd and precarious part of this verse 8 is it absolutely was deeply troubling by the disciples. I mean, history tells us that Jerusalem is filled with angry mobs who executed Jesus. Jesus says, go there. Judea rejected Jesus' ministry. Samaria was regarded as a wasteland of people the Jews were called not to associate with. And to the outermost parts of the earth, Gentiles were seen by some Jews, most Jews, as worthless. Now Jesus has called the disciples to witness in these areas? Why didn't Jesus just say, stay in Jerusalem? I'll take care of the rest. He didn't. He called them into those places. And the reality of the text is that we're called to do the same. And you know, most of us do well in our Jerusalems. I've pastored five churches in 25 years of ministry, and frankly, we were pretty good. All of them were with food banks, homeless ministries, care for the elderly, the poor of the community, And this church is no different. You are stellar in a lot of ways. Very impressive work with IM 24-7, the Breakfast of Angels, the Barnabas Center, the Agape Christian Center, just to name a few. Yes, most of us do well with local mission. 
Thanks be to God. And then we're not really challenged too much more, are we? To go beyond these communities into our Judeas and Samarias. When natural disasters hit our country, like tornadoes and floods and hurricanes, we send funds out to those regions just like that. When I was senior pastor of First Presbyterian Church Huntsville, we raised $18,000 on one Sunday morning for the terrible tornado outbreak of 2011 that killed 253 near Tuscaloosa. Likewise, we sent a truckload of water to Detroit to fill that city with good water as opposed to the lead-based water they were drinking. Yes, we can be quite stellar when it comes to sending the message of Christ, our love to our brothers and sisters in Judea and Samaria. But when we consider to the ends of the earth, that's where there is continual work to do with some in the church. In my work at the Outreach Foundation, I've, I've come to simply understand this about congregation after congregation. I don't know if it works here. You'll have to help me. But people just have not heard the story. The narrative of the faithful church in very dark regions of the world. And there are a lot of dark regions of the world. And if it's confessional time, I'll join that party because I didn't even know there were Presbyterian churches in the Middle East 10 years ago. There are a lot of faithful Christians around the world. Therefore, when I speak around the country, people are stunned of these global faith stories. People didn't know about the witnesses at the end of the earth doing incredible work that Christ calls us to do. For example, in the Middle East. I'll bring you three quick stories today. In the Middle East, in the northern war-torn region of Syria, there is a pastor by the name of Ibrahim Nasir. He and his wife and three small children live in Aleppo. You remember Aleppo? Ibrahim's the pastor of the Presbyterian Church there. You see, there are 40 Presbyterian churches birthed by Presbyterian missionaries in Lebanon, Syria, in Iraq. And Pastor Ibrahim has been in Aleppo for 20 years, two decades. Unfortunately, five years ago, if you can imagine that, his church was destroyed by mortar fire from ISIS, along with 70% of the city. It was all over the news. Crazy aspect of that story is that Ibrahim and his family chose to stay in Aleppo amid the Syrian refugee crisis and ISIS in his midst. This bold and friendly man stood face to face to me in conversation, and he was a man that I just defied words. What an incredible witness. You see, life in Syria is difficult. 11 years ago, 22 million people lived in that, in that country. And after ISIS got a hold of them and that civil war in which the world got involved, 11 million and a half, 50% of the country became a refugee. The UN got involved and said, Aleppo 
where Pastor Ibrahim was, had the worst humanitarian crisis since the Rwandan genocide of 1994. That's where Pastor Ibrahim was a pastor. And mind you, it's next to the Rwandan genocide of 1994 in which 800,000 people were killed in 100 days. That's where Aleppo is in this tragedy. But as I talked with Ibrahim, he said to me, Pastor Mark, God has called me nowhere else. And it is here that he feeds the hungry, finds shelter for the homeless, and does vacation Bible school for the kids of the church. Most would flee Aleppo, I would. But here is a man, a global witness, called to a dark and fragile place. You know, I'm introducing him to you today, I think, because you can go to the ends of the earth with him in the sharing of your treasures, doing as Jesus commanded you to do, just as you do with the callousness. You can witness through him and support him right alongside your other work because they need help in Aleppo. You could, you know, get engaged in simply committing prayer time for that church. You could join us on an outreach foundation trip or decide what you think is best to do. But when you commit yourself to this type of global mission, I do believe God blesses you and God blesses the church because you're doing what Jesus commanded us to do, commanded the disciples to do in this Acts 1-8 passage. But there are other stories. There are a lot of other stories that just embolden me for the spread of the gospel. Let me take you to a woman I know in Kamishli, Syria, five hours from Aleppo, and you'll meet a woman by the name of Maddie Sabah. You can celebrate today. She had twins recently. Her first assignment after graduating from seminary at the Neary School of Theology in Beirut, her assignment was to go to Kamishli. What's unique about Kamishli? Oh, it's just that in town is ISIS, the Turkish government, along with the Syrian army, the Russian army, the Kurds, and the U.S. When you walk out those church doors this morning to go to your car, you can't do that in Kamishli. You get shot by sniper fire. It is here where Maddie is assigned to do ministry to her congregation of 20 people. But what makes the place unique? She has 350 children in Sunday school. 95% Muslim. On Monday morning, she has 800 kids in her school. It is there they pray to Jesus. They read their Bible and are educated in the Christian faith. Why would a Muslim family send their children to the Christian school? Because it's the best school in town. 
and Muslims and Christians, those parents, want their children educated at the best schools. Here is where Maddie has been called. This is where Maddie does her work. She's a witness, and she needs our help. We're called to go to the ends of the earth with her. I'll conclude with somebody a little more local. Sasan Tavasoli on staff at the Outreach Foundation. He's a former pastor of in Iran, speaks Farsi. He was exiled in 1979 because of the Islamic Revolution. Christians were told to leave. He left, came to the U.S. And now what he does is he beams satellite programming through Sat7 and Mohabbat TV from his Atlanta-based basement into Iran where you're seeing the emergence of the Christian church. It is now the fastest growing church in the world underground. Can't go to worship in big churches like this in Iran, in Tehran. They're all locked up. But there you see the house church movement. Three degrees removed from the local population. No one knows about it. But they can get satellite programming from Sasan. Sasan does other things too. He teaches at Pars Theological Center in London via online courses where Iranians come to London, they learn about Jesus, become a commissioned lay pastor, and they go back to Iran to lead the house church movement. We need help in Iran too. You know, all that to say this, there is a mission. Because Christ said there's a mission. And according to the great missiologist, the late David Bosch, the reality of it is God loves people. It's not the church's mission. It's not this church's mission. It's God's mission into which we are invited that comes so clearly through Jesus' words today. We are called to be people of faith who witness and to help others do their witnessing in Jerusalem, in our Jerusalems, in our Judeas, in our Samarias, and into the end of the earth. I hope in prayer today, my dear friends, and once again, thanks for the invite, is that we might commit ourselves these days to thinking and praying for those people that don't enjoy the blessings that we have this day, to gather in a free country, to worship the living Jesus Christ. Let us commit ourselves, therefore, remembering our call to be a witness. And now to God who is able to do immeasurably more than you and I can ever imagine, to him be honor and glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from guest pastor Reverend Dr. Mark Mueller. If you'd like to find out more about our church or view a video of the full service, visit our website, westminstercharlotte.org. We look forward to seeing you soon.